This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 2 Does God Exist? Part 2 In the last episode, we looked at the traditional arguments for God's existence put forward by the Greek philosopher Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas. In this episode, we'll be dealing with more recent arguments for God's existence, and they also include a little bit of science, which makes them more, I don't know, acceptable to the modern mind. Throw in a little bit of science and people say, ooh, this is probably true, because science. Not that there was anything lacking in Aristotle or Aquinas' arguments. Uh, on the contrary, I think they're demonstrative. They're um, demonstrations of God's existence. These ones are, while they include science, I think they're less certain because science is always progressing. And so the premises that include the scientific elements are always open to modification. Whereas the arguments put forward by Aristotle and Aquinas don't rely on any phenomenon or scientific uh, finding or theory that could possibly change. The first argument we'll be dealing with here is actually not super new. It's called the cosmological argument, and in the form we'll be dealing with it, it's called the Kalam cosmological argument. The cosmological argument has been around for a long time, uh, but this one includes more recent scientific findings which give uh, support to one of the premises of the argument. So just get right to it. The Kalam cosmological argument has two premises and they're both pretty simple. The argument is one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Two, the universe began to exist. Three, therefore the universe has a cause. Now that seems really simplistic and, and it is. Let's look at the premises. The first premise, anything that begins to exist has a cause. That's obviously true. I'm not sure you can provide a proof or demonstration of this premise. It's just obviously true. We know it by the overwhelming weight of experience, our daily experience. We don't accept if something just pops into being out of nothing. In fact, the whole of science is based on this premise that if I see an effect, I, I investigate the cause because there's always a cause. And even if something seems to pop into existence, we know that that's probably not true. That's definitely not true. And it's either because it's an illusion or there's some invisible cause that we're not yet familiar with. So everything that begins to exist has a cause. Notice that the premise isn't whatever exists has a cause because that opens you up to the quick retort of, of a critic who says, well, if everything that exists has a cause, then God must have a cause. Huh? Huh? But that's not the premise. The premise is whatever begins to exist has a cause. So that seems to be obviously true. Uh, if you disagree with that, then, you know, I don't, actually, I don't know what to tell you. That's, you're dumb. Uh, the second premise is the universe began to exist. And this is one that has the sciencey stuff in it. And I'm not going to presume to uh, explain things very well and thoroughly scientifically because I'm not a scientist. But I'll present the findings that are used to support this premise. There's a couple things. First, there was a mathematical prediction 
by certain uh, scientists, uh, namely Alexander Friedman and Father Georges Lemaire, who said that the universe uh, is probably expanding. Uh, Edwin Hubble, another scientist, discovered that this was in fact the case because he discovered uh, red shift from distant galaxies moving away. And so he concluded that our universe not only is expanding, but because it's expanding, at some point in the past, it was, it began in the finite past. That is, it hasn't existed for all eternity, which is what many ancients and many modern uh, atheists still like to hold on to, that, yeah, the universe has just always existed. You know, don't worry about it. It's just there. Uh, well, that's not an acceptable answer. And it's anti-science, as we see here. So Edwin, Edwin Hubble concluded this that the universe began at some point in the finite past. It is not eternal in the past. And then more recently, I think in the early 2000s, there were three cosmologists with the names, last names of Bord, Guth, and Vilenkin. Just great names there, Bord, Guth, and Vilenkin. And they concluded that any universe, uh, any theoretical universe you could come up with, any universe that has been expanding on average during its existence had to have begun in the finite past. Right? It can't be eternal in the past. So those are, those are just some of the scientific findings or conclusions that give weight to that second premise, that the universe began to exist. It, it hasn't always existed. It hasn't existed forever in the past. It began sometime in the finite past. And we're familiar with this uh, when we think about the Big Bang Theory, you know, that there was a, a moment in the finite past, however many billions years of years ago, in which the universe uh, sprang into existence from some infinitely dense point, okay? And expanded outward and continues to expand outward. So if it's true that the universe began to exist, then the conclusion follows that the universe has a cause. Now that doesn't seem very groundbreaking just to say that the universe has a cause, but keep in mind what we mean by the word universe. The universe is all space and all time and all of the, the matter and energy and whatever contained therein, right? It's not just our world. It's not just all of the stuff in the distant galaxies. It's space itself, that is extension. And it's also time itself. So before the universe, there was no space and no time. So the cause of the universe has to be outside of space and time. To be outside of space is to be uh, immaterial or rather spiritual. To be outside of time is to be eternal. And to have brought all of this into existence is to be immensely, if not infinitely, powerful. So this Kalam cosmological argument concludes with uh, an immaterial or spiritual, uh, eternal, incredibly powerful being. It's kind of a big deal. There's another argument that is very sciencey, and that's called the fine-tuning argument. The argument for God's existence from the fact of apparent fine-tuning of the universe to be life-permitting. That is, there's such a delicate, finely-tuned balance of factors, of uh, conditions that allows life to exist that it seems impossible that it happened by chance or by necessity. And so the only conclusion is that it happened by design. And when you start to look at the figures, the numbers involved, the probabilities, the mathematical impossibility of our life-permitting world, uh, it's really mind-blowing. It's so statistically, mathematically impossible, meaning 
it's such a low probability that it's effectively impossible that to say that it's necessary makes no sense. To say that it happened by chance makes no sense, right? Something so delicately balanced on a razor's edge, as uh, some have said, it just doesn't make sense unless it were fine-tuned or designed that way. Now, I think it's best for you to go and look up some of these figures. And again, I'll point you to Dr. William Lane Craig, who has a great, uh, not only many great articles, both scholarly and popular about this uh, argument, but also a, a really cool, accessible video about it for the fine-tuning of the universe. The numbers involved are literally incomprehensible like figures that um, just would blow your mind. There are certain constants in nature that have no explanation, but are so precise that if they were to deviate even the, the tiniest, tiniest, most infinitesimal amount, then life would have been impossible. The universe would have collapsed on itself after the Big Bang, or it would have expanded too rapidly to allow for the formation of stars and planets and stuff like that. The numbers are just too immense to, to even imagine. But I encourage you to go look at those things because they're really not only mind-blowing, but also they're awe-inspiring just to show you how perfectly God designed everything so as to permit life as we know it. Just to give you one example of one of the numbers I'm talking about, uh, there's something called the, the cosmological constant. It represents the strength of gravity in an empty vacuum of space. So it controls how fast the universe expanded and continues to expand. Uh, this, this figure, this constant, is fine-tuned to the negative 120th power. It's a decimal point followed by 119 zeros and then a one. Uh, it's crazy that if there was any deviation from this, uh, even a slight deviation from this, uh, it would have been impossible for life to develop. Now, Vilenkin, one of the names I mentioned before, Alexander Vilenkin of the Bord, Guth, and Vilenkin theorem, uh, he's not a, a religious person, right? Uh, but he said, even a tiny deviation from the required power results in a cosmological disaster, such as the fireball collapsing under its own weight or the universe being nearly empty. This is the most notorious and perplexing case of fine-tuning in physics. So that's just one of the numbers we're talking about, and there's a ton of them. Again, uh, do your own research on this and, and look at uh, some of the probabilities we're talking about here. The last demonstration for God's existence isn't necessarily scientific, but it deals a lot with experience, uh, our own experience, and it's called the moral argument for God's existence. And this is most famously put forward by C.S. Lewis, famous Christian author. And uh, if you haven't read his book, Mere Christianity, please do. It's one of the most important books, I think, of the last couple centuries. I mean, it's just a really incredible book with really profound thinking expressed very clearly and simply. It's a very easy book to read. And he actually starts talking about morality by just noting our moral experience, our everyday experience, where people arguing with each other or saying that's unfair, or this is unfair, or whatever. And what he says, commenting on our experience, quote, what interests me about all these remarks is that the man who makes them is not merely saying that the other man's behavior does not happen to please him. He is appealing to some kind of standard of behavior which he expects the other man to know about. And the other man very seldom replies, to hell with your standard, end quote. And that just seems obviously true, right? Even people that 
claim not to believe in objective good and evil don't live as if they truly believe that objective good and evil don't exist. You know, the best thing to do for someone that says objective good and evil don't exist or what's good for you might not be good for me or whatever, that there's no standard moral law, the best thing to do to such a person is to uh, steal their watch. Well, not really. Don't, don't actually do that, but you get the point. Someone might claim very provocatively that I don't believe in good or evil. I just live for myself or everyone has their own truth or their idea of good and evil. That person doesn't live that way. If they do live that way, then, I mean, at least they're consistent. But you're not going to find a consistent person who believes that good and evil don't exist. They always appeal to a moral standard. And that's C.S. Lewis's point. And it's not even the case that we need to argue that every moral law is common to everyone and is in everyone's conscience. That's not what he's saying. I think you can make an argument for certain standards of good and evil that everyone knows, no matter where they are, no matter what point in history they are. C.S. Lewis considers an objection to this point where he says, well, look at all the different moralities of different eras of history and different cultures. You know, some people believed in monogamy, some people believed in polygamy. And C.S. Lewis says, well, that, that might be true, but take that example. No one believed that someone can just have any woman they want or however many they want. And some people say, well, cultures differed on their, their principles or whatever. And C.S. Lewis says, yeah, there's plenty of differences, but you're never going to find a culture that exalts cowardice and denigrates bravery. You know, there are just certain things that are always present in every culture, and there's a certain understanding of good and evil that's present in every culture, and it spans all of the globe and all of history. That's his point. He doesn't get into specifics, because that's a whole other question, but the fact that there is always a moral standard that everyone appeals to is the point. If there's a moral standard that everyone appeals to, a moral law that everyone appeals to, then his conclusion is, then there must be a moral lawgiver. But again, to more thoroughly go through this, I'd recommend that you read Mere Christianity. Uh, it's just a fantastic book. So a couple takeaways from this episode. Uh, first, we went over the Kalam cosmological argument and showed that the universe began to exist, and we explained some of the science behind that. And because the universe began to exist, the universe has a cause, and that cause is a spiritual, eternal, immensely powerful being. Then we looked at the fine-tuning of the universe, that is, the fact that the universe, its conditions and constants are so finely tuned to a mind-blowing degree to permit life that it had to have been done by a designer. To claim that it was that it was necessary or that it was by chance is just, if nothing else, it's less rational to hold that than to hold that it was done by design because the appearance of design is just so overwhelming. And then lastly, we considered C.S. Lewis's moral argument. The fact that there are certain basic norms and laws that every human being throughout all of history and across all of the globe has always recognized to some degree or another and that everyone appeals to and knows in their conscience this leads to the existence of a moral lawgiver if you'd like some further reading uh, some of the things i already mentioned in the episode but just to recap definitely read mere christianity by c.s lewis reasonablefaith.org is where you'll find many resources provided by Dr. William Lane Craig and his organization, which these arguments for God's existence in this episode in particular are, is really his strong suit. Again, uh, look at Trent Horn and his Answering Atheism book. 
an excellent book. And once again, thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. I almost forgot the name of my own podcast there. <laughs>